Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan. Today I have Jordan Lawler with me. Uh, we grew up together. Uh, he's a little bit older than I was. We played baseball together, and uh, it was crazy to me, man. It wasn't that long ago we were at the uh, the barn on the Bryants. Uh, we were having a, what do they call it, be the middle? A voice for the middle, I think. Voice so for the middle. Yeah. And, you know, just looking across the room, and I think it was you – or it might have been Big Worm that had said it was like, look at all these rascals in this yeah. room, you know? Yeah. And we're just yeah. thinking about like all, just who we were growing up and like just who we are now. And it's like, right. man, um, if anybody yeah. wants to tell me. We had me, you, Andrew, Worm, Kyle. Jeremy Brock. Jeremy Brock, Kellen Neighbors. Yeah. And like if somebody, I thought that may have been me. I don't remember. I talked to many different places, but um that's kind of the deal, man. If you'd have looked around and said all else would have been in that building, you'd have thought, I ain't going. That's right. <laughs> I ain't going. But it was a it was a good thing. It was the opposite of what you probably would have thought. But Yeah. And, um, man, just so for those of y'all listening, I have another podcast that hasn't really been active lately. Uh, it's called Illuminate. I had Jordan on then, and we were talking about the, the idea of adoption. Uh, they recently uh, came home with their little girl, and... Um, I guess uh, let's let's just start right there, man. Like, so yeah. y'all y'all have had her um, um, what, a little over two months now. No, it should be man. Time flies by. It should be five months tomorrow. Mercy. Five months on the twenty seventh. I don't know when this will air, but five months on the twenty seventh of January. Time gets by, but she's doing good. Um, we are just pretty much a court hearing away from uh, official. You know, that's great. Man. Everything's done. Paperwork's filed. It's just the official sign the line i guess kind of deal and uh but man it was a it was a ride um like that one you know when we did that podcast we were thinking it was one baby and Mm -hmm. we were supposed to get a sibling and that failed and then the second one failed and then within a 24-hour turnaround we went from a failed adoption to uh, my wife lana uh her in a hospital holding the baby we have now ali joe so yeah little bitty thing i'm sure yeah. she's grown since i've seen her though she's still she's five months and 10 pounds so yeah <laughs> she's only two pounds heavier now than john or a pound and a half than my son he's nine than he was when he was born so <laughs> <laughs> she's she's growing but it still ain't a lot to her for sure yeah man well uh we got a lot of ground to cover um and i, I don't care if this takes two episodes or not but yeah i figure it will um Man, let's go ahead and dive off in the snake handling and yeah. just like I guess to kind of open up of uh, how I got involved with this book. Uh, it was a combination of Abe Partridge and Will Stewart. And uh, just before we got started, you had asked me a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, I'd actually kind of about Abe Partridge. I saw some stuff on Facebook, listened to some of his music. I knew he's a singer songwriter, but didn't know what the tie-in was to you know snake handling. Yeah, uh, yeah, Pentecostal sure. type churches. So. So, um, I've had Abe on the show and he talked about it then as well, but, um, you know, college wasn't going to really, um, 
be his thing. Yeah. And uh, so he became a pastor. Yeah. And he ended up um, up in the hill country, up around Kentucky. Yeah. And he actually met, like, the most famous snake handler preacher yeah. that was living in that area. They became friends. They were both pastors. Yeah. He wasn't handling snakes. Yeah. And um, it moved on from there that... Um, he would join the Air Force and he would go serve. Um, That's awesome. I think he'd done two tours and he yeah. came back and um, he became a singer, songwriter, and artist. That's awesome. And so now, like the combination of snake handling, and this was the second time I went and uh, got to catch up with Abe, was um, he had been writing this book on snake handling. Yeah. And he had also been taking trips up to Sand Mountain and yeah. different places and just reconnecting dots <clears throat> that he had made from way back in the day of just not being involved in the snake handling churches but being around yeah them. being around it kind of yeah connecting the dots i mean you know i'm a pastor uh, i've pastored past five years i was a youth pastor before that for five years so i've been in ministry for 10 years so, <coughs> you know i i understand that thing i kind of college not being your thing i ain't got no education i mean mm-hmm. I, I graduated high school with the with the help of some people, but <laughs> but I graduated either way. If it would have been for my wife, I'd probably still be there. But but um, you know, graduated high school and <clears throat> went to be a mechanic. And God had other plans and led me into the ministry. And a lot of things happened here. I am we're here, you know, at our at my church or church I pastor today recording this. But you know, it's the same thing. Like you said, I'm sure he probably would. Wouldn't have been able to pick the path and how he'd end up writing book on snake handling and yeah. ending up that tying me and you together somehow to talking about, you know, kind of over this book a little bit and kind of yeah. the direction it went. And, uh, yeah, it's crazy. The whole thing was, uh, it's a thrill ride. So the book that we're going to talk about first, this is kind of our first topic, is Salvation on Sand Mountain. That's by Dennis Covington. Yeah. And, um, like, when I first met Abe and started hanging out with Abe, he was working on this snake handling book. You know, he would he would draw them, and then, like, on the other page, he would write about write them. Write about them, yeah. And then I, he was like, you know Will Stewart? And I was like, oh, I don't know him, but I'm familiar with his music. And he was like, have you heard the song Brush Arbor? He actually references to Brother Carl. Yeah, he does. And so, um, I mean, there was so many connections to this book, and then, like, I've already asked Abe. I was like, next time you go up to hang out with the snake handlers, I want to go. Yeah. Yeah, I want to. I want to meet these people. You know, like yeah. you said, if, if Daisy's still alive. Yeah. yeah. Want to meet her? Yeah. Got to sit down for a minute with her. You know. Yeah. I mean, that's what got me to the book was uh, listening to Porch talking. You played Brush Arbor. I'd never heard it. Didn't know who Will Stewart was, but listened to it and I was like, what was he talking? You know, kind of what tied to a point. What was he talking about? Mm-hmm. And then. If you said something about it, or if I listened to something else and it told the backstory on it, and then we talked, and you pointed to the book, so I just ordered it and got it. And I'm not a big reader by any means. I mean, we're sitting in my office right now, and you see the book collection. That's all I got. It's yeah. minimal compared to most pastors, probably. But uh, I mean, it's a, it's a roller coaster ride of a book for sure, man, because it's it's factual. I mean, I don't really like fiction stuff much. Yeah, but it it whoops any fiction book because it's it's real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Typically, man, is like I'm. I'm very fiction oriented, but uh, I don't read a, a whole lot of nonfiction. But like, it took me a lot longer than I anticipated to get through the book. But right. like each night when I had time to get into it, it wasn't. 
10, 15 pages. Oh, my God, I'm bored. It was yeah. binge reading. It, it, it pulls like, you in. And then at the same time, you kind of go back and what I call chew on it for a little while. you like, you know, what was going on right here? What was happening? But, man, I, you know, I kind of, I guess still kind of on the background point, but talking about the book, I mean, I, I pastor a Southern Baptist church. I mean, I, that's irrelevant to me, denomination is. But, mm-hmm. you know, my, uh, I guess, background is a little bit more independent, fundamental uh, church and that's not Pentecostal, but they get excited, you know, yeah. and, and shout and amen and, and get excited. Um, not just out of habit of doing it, but when it's real, if you're in the right places, it is. And, you know, so I, I could, I could picture a lot of these things except for the snakes. I ain't never, I ain't never, yeah. and, and the poison and the fire, I ain't never been around that, but I know everything else that he talked about in there about <clears throat> kind of that, he referenced almost like a vibrating lull almost and then that glow. And and I, I I know all that, you know. Yeah. Seen it here, seen it on mountainsides in Guatemala, you know, just seen it, you know. Yeah, that's it. Is uh like I've I've seen a lot of these descriptions in the book and like you said, man, um the only speaking in tongues I ever saw, it got shut down by the pastor. Yeah. I wish I remember who was pastoring that night. It was it was like some revival service in yeah. Grand Bay when I was still living down in Mobile. Yeah. And someone got up and like I think it was like a community wide. I'm trying to remember what event it was. I think it was like the one time event around Thanksgiving where all the congregations kind of get together in right. one of the churches to yeah, kind of yeah, just yeah. celebrate the community. Yeah. And like I guess it was one of the more Pentecostal got up and just started speaking in tongues and the pastor uh, said, sir. Um, <laughs> is there anyone here who can interpret? Yeah. And everybody was just kind of looking around. He was like, "Either sit down and be quiet, or remove yourself." Yeah. We're not. Okay. We're he not. Called, do, we're not doing that. He here. called him an out of order. You yeah. know. And I mean, you know, and and in the book, I, I give it to you. In the book, the times it really mentioned speaking in tongues that was that was a tongue and not just a not just a sound somebody was making in worship. Whether it would just been, you know, one of the things that reference he references a lady in there. And said she was making this sound, but it almost sounded like what I've heard people before, almost like a joyful, crying, can't say nothing kind of thing. Right. You know, and to me, that's more on the biblical side of when I don't know what to say, the Spirit says it, utters it for you. Is what King James uses utter, but says it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that ain't verbatim, of course, but that's what it says. But man, to me, the time that I've experienced tongues, and I think I shared this with you. And won't nobody ever take that moment from me. It was not a church service. It wasn't that. It was on the mountainside. Uh, you've been, you, uh, yeah, you've been in that village. You was with me there uh, <laughs> when we when we built that house. You was there. This is when I went back. Um, El Garabato. Uh, yeah, was it ninety two hundred feet above sea level? We was up there in the cloud, like. Oh my, dude! <laughs> you, yes, you remember that? That's good. Yeah. So we're back. Oh, on boy, the back. We'll get back to the book in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, we were up on this mountainside, and and uh, Alan was on the team. We were building a house, you know, what we call a house down there. There's that. It's what you would uh, park a lawnmower. Yeah, in it's here. a lawnmower shed here in the states, but um, you know, just a fourteen by fourteen aluminum building. So we're building it, and man, we've got this great view across this valley, going yeah. up the other side. We could see Fuego, the active volcano there, and you could see the yeah. twin volcanoes over there. And then, like, we, I look down and put two screws in a piece of sheet metal and look up, and it's like this white wall. And I'm like, what is that? Where did it even come from? It just appeared. Yeah. <laughs> and what it was is it came up the hill. 
Yeah. And we were looking on above it, and then all of a sudden it was on us. And I was like, man, what what happened to the view? And then all of a sudden you were soaking wet, but it wasn't raining. You realize I'm not getting rained on. I'm in the rain. That like, was the weirdest. This is the <laughs> weirdest feeling, man. Yeah. I'm inside a cloud, not like fog, like driving down the road in the south. Not that kind of fog. No, I'm in like the thick white cumulus cloud yeah i'm in it and soaking wet in this yeah thing. and it was like all at once she was just drenched i remember yeah. like we were we were on the roof we were like we, we, were, we were finishing the up on the roof, roof. i yeah. think it was it might have been you and me and we it were was. trying to finish it up and it we was. were soaked and then what it seemed like lightning and i was like where does lightning we're standing we're in it yeah it didn't it didn't go from here it started here yeah. <laughs> we didn't get struck by it we saw it we felt it leave yeah because man hair stood up and then who was it? Was it BJ? BJ Parsons was up on the roof up uh-huh. on top. And like, he was one of them saying, oh, we'll stay. It'll be fine. And then when that lightning popped, he's like, y'all can stay. I'm in the van. Get in the van. Yeah. <laughs> but it was that village, man. We built a house and we never could find the owner of the house when we built it. And um, pretty much, you know, all we, all we find out really from the owners is which way the house needs to face, where the door needs to be, mm-hmm. where the window needs to be, and which way they want the water to run off the roof. That's right. Well, somebody told us that for us and said it was a, a lady that lived there, but that she was at work. So that's all we knew. And, and some people worked there in the, in the fields or whatever, um, but didn't know where she was. So when we went back to dedicate that house, come to find out this lady was out in the field and this lady was blind. And what she did was crawl through this cornfield that was on this hillside, not like a flat field. I'm talking about a mountainside and they cut flat rows into it. She crawled through there and would find the corn stalk and hold it with her hand and feel around it and pull up anything else that wasn't the corn stalk. So she was weeding it with her hands, mm-hmm. crawling on her knees. And you could tell she had done this a long time because her feet turned out from being on her knees in that hillside for a long time. I don't know if she was blind from birth. Don't know if something happened or what. And the majority of areas we go in Guatemala, they speak Spanish, but this lady didn't speak Spanish. Ketchikau. She spoke Ketchikau. We didn't have a Ketchikau translator. Well, we did that time when we built the house. He had a little Josh. So, yeah, I talked to Josh, from, and he went from English to Spanish, and then he talked to a guy from Patsacia out of that church in Patsacia that was up there helping us, and he went from Spanish to Ketchikau to her, and then it came back from Ketchikau to her, Spanish to Josh back to me. So I'm sure we lost a lot. There was in a lot lost in that translation. So that's July. So June. That's in June. Yeah. Wh- whatever year that was, it all runs together. I'm telling you what. I, I was sitting here like while you're telling the story. I was like, how many times have I been to Guatemala? I don't know. I lost count, man. But you know, and that's crazy because you're like, there's no way you'd ever lose count. <laughs> I said the same thing. Like the first time I went, and they went around the room, and you're like Raymond and some of these other folks. They're like, I've been here a bunch. Yeah. I don't know how much. I'm like, I'll never get that way. And now I'm like, I got to go counting the years from like, mm-hmm. when I went twice. This, I don't know. I think I'm like maybe 10 or something like that trips. Yeah, I have no idea. But um, so me and Lana had an opportunity that year to go back in December. And it was a different trip. We built a few houses. Uh, I'd never done a December trip. But the guy over the trip, he wouldn't let me work on any of the houses. He made me go to, with these block parties and stuff and work with the kids. Because mm-hmm. he knew I'd get on them houses and disappear and, and get them built, whatever. I was just, I, I'd much rather do that than be seen. That's that's just me, I guess. And um, But he wouldn't let me do I tried to every day, and he wouldn't let me go. And um, so he made me go and do these things. Well, we went and did a... Uh, uh, a block party like thing with like some big inflatable jumpy houses things and we went to this one town um it's Zappa, and that's where i first time i ever saw pagan worship true pagan worship was in Zappa. that might have to be another day 
But we they while we were there, Tico, uh, Rafael Vargas, he said that uh, we're going to go to El Grabato and set up these jumpies. I said, where? <laughs> I said, there ain't a flat spot up there. It's it's heel up to the top, the crest of the hill where we parked the vans and off the other side. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. And I go ahead and tell you, if you put that big slide jumpy house on the hill, them kids will have some fun. <laughs> they'll land in the cornfield, but they'll have some fun, you know? Oh, yeah. So while we're up there, I was like, I want to go see this lady. I, I don't know her name, but there's no translator. It's just us. You know, there's no translator there. So we decide to go down this hill, and it's steep down this hill. I mean, real steep down the hill. And so we're walking down through there, and I'm talking. Um, Lana's with me. And, um, there's a guy with me, but he doesn't, he speaks Spanish, but he doesn't speak catch a cow, but he's like, I might can figure something out. Uh-huh. So as I'm walking down this hill, I'm talking to her and the ladies at home and she hears my voice. And you know, they say that people that are blind have a heightened sense of sound or whatever, but also I'm probably one of the few gringos, one of the few Americans she's ever talked North people from the United States yeah. that she's ever talked to. And I, I don't figure I've got that distinguishable of a voice, but walking down the hill, she knew who I was. She come out of the house. And she starts talking, and she she's pointing. Uh, our kids here at the church here at Ethersville, they had colored all these hearts. with a, It was a cross with a heart in the middle. They had colored them, and we put magnets on the back of them. And um, then when we dedicated the houses, we gave them to the homeowners. Well, she wanted me to take a nail and put it above the door. Uh-huh. before we left her house in June. So I did. So when I'm walking down the hill, she comes out pointing at that cross with that heart on it. Like, she knows it's me. She knows who it is. So I was like, man, I wish I knew what she was saying. I was like, you know, and I was just thinking, and I didn't necessarily pray it, but I was just thinking, God, I, I wish we could just have a conversation. I know we ain't got a translator. I don't know how this is going to go. Yeah. And, man, nobody will ever take it from me. We got down there on the front porch of her house, and she started talking. And I knew exactly what she said. But you didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't speak catch cow, no, but you knew exactly I had no what idea what she was saying, but I knew what she was saying. Yeah. I didn't hear it in English. It wasn't one of these things that all of a sudden I was able to speak catch a cow because I couldn't really say anything back. I, I said some things back in English. I don't know if she understood them, but I knew what she was saying. Uh-huh. And you could say, well, you you was just assuming she was saying thankful for this house. No, she was talking about how her life had been since she was in that house. Oh, wow. You know, how different it was and how grateful she was and how she had been working that day. And then she came up there and you brought us this stuff. And she then she went, she said about that Bible, you know, the Bible that you gave us. And she, as she said that, she turns and goes into the house and, and comes back out with the Bible that we gave us, a paperback Spanish Bible. It was uh, Santa Biblica or whatever, just like the their version, the King James version or whatever, to a point, the older version of it. And she comes out with it, and I'm like, what's going on right here? Yeah. And like that glow, that feel that uh, yeah. Dennis talks about in the book, I'm in it. Hillside, Guatemala, I'm in it. You know, ain't no snakes, ain't no strychnine, and it ain't nobody necessarily interpreting. I, 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 didn't, I didn't tell them, I didn't tell Lana and the other guy. I just told Lana when we're leaving, I was like, I knew everything she said, you know, and I, and I knew it in my spirit and I heard it within me, not audible, but I heard it within mm-hmm. me what she was saying. And that, that, I guess that's my kind of experience with tongues and with that, that spirit as far as just God working in that, you know? Yeah. 
I tell people, you know, is uh, they have questions about mission trips and all this and that. And if you've ever considered it, go. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've, it's like the worst joke, but it's so true, is uh, now you be sure to take a lot of pictures with you and those poor little, <laughs> poor little children. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, you should. Um, I just wouldn't put it on my social media. No. Because you, you are there. You know, your mission is to be a blessing to those people. Right. Not but, to get patted on the back. Right. <laughs> yeah, man. But the reality is, if we were to give that wood and tin and concrete especially, because all my trips I've been on. You got concrete duty every trip, didn't you? Every day of every trip. <laughs> uh you yeah. know, I've never had it. You're a lucky man. <laughs> I, I had to go, like, do some concrete one day just to, just to know how it went. I've never been put on concrete duty. Like, whenever I was there, it's like, it's not even a draw. Like, I'm like, no. a, I'm, a, I'm a go-to. Yeah. Al's on concrete. Let him know when the first house is done. He'll yeah. assemble the team. Yeah. It's like, okay. He'll put together somebody that can do concrete. <laughs> and then it, it was like, it was our first trip down there. Yeah. I was, uh, <clears throat> this was Kennedy Baptist's first trip down there. Yeah. Uh so that, I wasn't on that trip. I was on the second one or third one, I think. It was like the second or third day, and I was I was leading the worship, you know, in the mornings, and yeah. we would go out and work during the day. And it was the third day, and I saw who my team was, and I knew I was going to be on concrete, and it was just like teenagers. <laughs> going to be a long day. And I was like, my back's going to hurt. <clears throat> yeah, because they'll quit on you. Yeah. And <laughs> they'll, they'll disappear. They'll, they'll pull a Jace work. on you is what yeah. they'll do. Oh, yeah. They'll pull Thanks a Jace on you. pulling Jace. is like, if you ever have a question about a village, like, where's the tienda? Yeah. <laughs> store? Where's Just the store? Jace. Because that dude ain't worked. No. <laughs> All always did was wander around. The thing around. about it, if you ask him where a tienda is, he's going to say, well, there's one right there. But there's a better one about two miles that direction. <laughs> It's like, did you see that when we drove in? No, I walked. No, that's the other way. The, not the way we came, the other way. Right. I just went to check it out, make sure everything was safe. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. I still say I still say that year that we were in El Garabato, he sabotaged all the teams. Jace? Yes. Yes, he did. Because I packed the boxes that morning. I packed them. Myself. I know there was hinges and black screws in every box and extras. We get there, ain't nobody got nothing. Mm-hmm. And then the only common denominator was Jace brought the boxes down. <laughs> that was the only thing. I, I don't that, know what happened. That was, um, it was, I don't want to say it's the worst trip I'd ever been on. It was tough. That was, But it, it was like spiritually and emotionally, it was one of the toughest trips it I've ever tough. been on. Because I remember. Um, <clears throat> Physically too. Very, yeah, fit, we were up in that mountain a lot. It was two and a half hours. But I'll, I'll never forget some of the views. Like, we decided that we were going to go up to the village, you know, before the sun came up. Yeah. And we had just gotten to our work site. And I remember looking in the fuego. Yeah. And the seeing glow, the lava. The glow, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing. Like, that trip, after that first day, we got cut short. You know, it was kind of... An old girl, like, reached up and grabbed that barbed wire fence and yeah. just ripped her hand. Name? Jan, uh, Nan. 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 Mm-hmm. Cut her hand on barbed wire fence, man. We just got cut short. So that second day, we decided, like, all the guys are going to leave before daylight and everybody else will come later. And I think every day, like me, you, BJ, uh, Brother Teddy, some other folks, like, it was dark when we left. Dark when we got there after a two hour mm-hmm. ride. And then dark when we left with a two hour ride back to the mission house. 
for a couple of days. It was but, it, but it was never ending because I remember I was, um, you know, sharing the room with Philip. He's a nurse, and I won't forget that night that. Uh, oh, I didn't forget about that. Yeah, uh, I can't remember his name right now, but he had fell down he the stepped store. off the bottom and, steps and the downstairs yeah, he, had flooded, and he busted his, busted head, his open. head on the stairs. And like I remember Raymond just busting in our room. He said, "Philip, get up." Um, I can't, I can't think of his name, man. So-and-so needs, uh, needs to check him out. He split his wig. Alan, <laughs> go clean up the blood. Yeah. I was like... <laughs> it's, it's like concrete, dude. Yeah. It's four in the morning. What are you doing to me? <laughs> yeah. He's going to get coffee. You yeah. know, I was, I was just going to go make coffee and bust my head open. And what was crazy was like, you know, we went to a school that morning before we went to the village. Mm-hmm. And he went and got his head sewn up. And beat us to the school. You remember that? I do remember that. And like, when we got there, Philip, who was a nurse, he was like, if I ever get hurt, take me to that clinic. He said he got there and it was the cleanest place he'd ever been and said, what was it, like 40 bucks? And he had like 20-something stitches in his head. Mm-hmm. It was $40. I mean, he split his wig. Yeah, it was from like corner to corner, back of your head. Yeah. Bad. Because yeah. he hit it on those steps. Oh, fell yeah, backwards. On, on and the hit corner his... of those tile concrete yeah, steps. Fell yeah. back and hit his head on her. But man, all of that kind of... You know, my my experience there on the mountains, you down there and everything, it kind of ties back into what we was talking about a little bit earlier with that. was like, it was a simpler life. Yeah. You know, I don't figure them people's too worried about COVID. I don't either. I, I don't figure they're worried about it too much. They're just looking to get to tomorrow. That's right. Because uh, there's a saying that I heard, and I, I believe it's true, is if, if we don't farm today, we won't eat tomorrow. Yep. And they live in it. Man, they, they put the corn out there, and then when they pick the corn, before the corn's ready, they plant beans under the corn. And then they, that way, when they pick the corn, the beans can run up the corn stalks. And then they can pick those mm-hmm. and plant, sun, plant sunflowers and tie them to the corn stalks, and then they cut all of it down and start back over with corn again. Year-round growing season, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a different deal. For sure. And just roads, man. I'll, I'll never forget, like, <clears throat> I think it was the second or third time I went down there, I started driving. Yeah. And um, I love it when people, like, complain, man, I, I would never – I hate driving in Columbus, Mississippi. Yeah. And I was like – He's on have you, Chamath. Have you, you ever <laughs> yeah. drove in Chamath and Nanga? Yeah. But that's the thing is, like, you know, you'll see those videos on social media about, like, this pothole oh, <laughs> that yeah. a car disappears. <laughs> I know where those are. They're yeah. not in the States. <laughs> they're in yeah. Guatemala. Yeah. And, like, they're normal. That's, yeah. that's every day, you know. That's right. And then, like, you know, in town – they went through there, and I guess people were driving too fast, and they didn't put speed bumps. They like somehow adhered these metal balls. That's right, like a half metal sphere, about eight inches tall, in the road. So if you hit them running wild open, you just lost four tires. That was, <laughs> and then they put them like four foot deep. So going across them, it's just you know, and then they're every eight feet down there. It's just like a suspension. No, we ain't got no suspension. And then we're in, then we're in. Nissan and Toyota 15 passenger vans and going around, curling around mountains yeah. and cliffs. Yep, and we got people packed in them and and we're we're heavier people. Yeah. Being politically correct out there. We're heavier people than those vans were designed for <laughs> cuz we've started up some hills a couple of times and we had to get a few people out to get up the hill yeah. and get back in at the top. But, I pushed a van up a few hills in my yeah. day there. Yeah. I feel bad for the clutches in them things. God, dog. Four-speed Nissan oh, that's Toyota thing. vans. Yeah. <laughs> and it's way too far between first and second gear. It's like, wow. That's all you got. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so 
Dennis Covington, uh, Salvation on the Snake Mountain. It's like the whole time going through the book, it's it's hard to put down. And like I had a hard time reading Dennis at first because um, he didn't disclose his spiritual background no, until, until later on, a little over halfway through. Right. And then also too, to me, you could tell I'm not much. Like I said, I'm not much of a reader, but you could tell that he was a fiction writer now telling a nonfiction story. But that really helped because the details there so much. Like when it gets over there where he's talking about going up to Jolo, West Virginia, and he like did research before he drove the drive. Mm-hmm. Like he read a book about a guy that wrote about, you know, when they first immigrated in coming down into the Appalachian Mountains and what he saw there. He read that before he drove. So he was getting that picture in his head before he made the drive up the spine of the Appalachians, as he says, mm-hmm. up into West Virginia. But yeah, it, it was hard to read. Um, and man, for people that hadn't read this book, I mean, I ain't just putting a plug in for this book, but the people that hadn't read it, I don't think anybody will read it. Even even if they, like if, if you listen to the podcast right now, keep listening to it, but if you can throw the brakes on and read the book and come back, yeah. you will not predict the ending. I guarantee you. Most movies I watch, I don't know if you like that, most movies I watch, yeah. very few things surprise me. I yeah. see it coming. I didn't see the end of this thing coming. Mm-mm. I mean, he's gone through there. He's, I don't want to use the word infiltrated because it sounds like he did it for the wrong reason, but I don't know. He became a part of this snake handling Pentecostal church culture. I think infiltrated, yeah, I don't think that's the right word. No, it's not, but like, I don't know what the uh, word is I'm looking the, for. The thing about like, okay, so how all this started was uh, what? There was a snake handler who just got put in yeah, jail. Yeah, he, he over had been, been arrested. And for he, trying to kill his wife with yeah, a snake. Yeah, he was arrested on the alleged charges at the time they were alleged that he had held his wife at gunpoint and made her put her hand in a snake mm-hmm. cage with, a, I think it was a cane break rattler, and make it bite her because I think it's one of the things like he thought he was she was cheating on him or, or something, this yeah. or that. And I think it comes out later, he had kind of what they called backed up on God. He'd been drinking, that yeah. kind of thing. And... um he ended up getting arrested for like I think attempted. She she lived, so it was like attempted murder yeah. that he got arrested for. I think he ended up making her get bit twice. He did, I think, and um, so that's where it started. And Dennis was just going to cover that story. That's right, because he was a journalist working for this yeah. paper, and, and that's like, why I kind of said to a point, kind of infiltrated. But that sounds like he had like evil intentions behind it. But then he got there and he got caught up in it. Yeah. And he got caught up in it because after he is, after Dennis's dad, like right before his dad passed away, mm-hmm. his dad had kind of got, you know, older, um, not too long before he passed away, he got interested on like their genealogy, where they come from. And there was a tie somewhere in there to, uh, to Sand Mountain, to that area in Alabama, mm-hmm. East Tennessee, West Georgia, that area right in there of, of Appalachia, I guess. And so then when he got there, he felt like a connection to these people and so even after kind of that story was over um as far as the the trial and all that stuff of um i can't remember that pastor's name um i, I can't either at first hand. after that trial was was over he went and um let me see here what was that guy's name glenn glenn that's summerford it. that's glenn, it brother glenn summerford and um you can actually find a video of brother glenn preaching on youtube if you look for it nice found it like pulpit drenched with snakes and he's preaching, and I actually think that is during the trial, like the like the trial's going on, and he's still or if preaching. What if it's at gas station church? I think it, it could be, it could be. 
But I know they had like yeah, they had I like it was. I think I think it was said in the book that he had maybe two or three other congregations that he would pop other in. places, yeah. But it was him pre it was that Glenn Summerford preaching somewhere. But even after the trial, after that Dennis seemed to be kind of done with that part of the journalism because you read a few places where he got sent like one time he got sent over to Georgia for like a magazine article and he went by and visited Brother Carl. That's right. So he had like became a part of this culture. And like they were still taking pictures and stuff, and he he was still working on a book, but at the same time he became part of it, even ended up handling the snake himself. Um, I've, and man, then ended up preaching evidently one one sermon. Yeah, uh, and was not in the Word. No, he was know, in the Word for a little while. He was in the yeah. I think he may still been in it. Yeah, he was. Did, he was still in it, but yeah. they they didn't think he was in it, man. And it so he he traveled with these people, and what got me was is there were. There are these snake handling Pentecostal type churches. Not all Pentecostal churches are snake handling. Many means I've got some real good Pentecostal friends, and they shoot at snakes. Is what they do, like I would. I don't really like pictures of snakes, but yeah. um, they don't all handle snakes. But what kind of got me was is whether it was in Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, or even when they went to West Virginia. It was the same group of people at the church. Mm-hmm. They just went to church all over these different places, and it was the same group of people. And then yep. me and you got to talking one night, like, got the number of people that got bit. <laughs> and there's, like, the number of people that get bit in the United States every year. They're in this book. Yep. That's, they're the, that's they're them. They are. There they are. <laughs> and it's not like, I'm sure there's some accidental bites, but it seems like most of the bites is because they, they picked them up. You know, it yeah. is. But they believe you get bit. It's just part of it yeah. and that you'll survive it. I mean, it seems like most of them do, like. Yeah. I always thought like getting bit by a cane break or Eastern Diamond back, that was it. You were Katie, done. Katie bar the door. Man. Yeah, I mean, done, shut man. it down, plan the funeral. And like some of these people talk about getting bit 16 times, 18 times. And That's I'm right. like, my goodness, we had a man in our church get bit by a copperhead. He wasn't handling snakes in our church, so don't, don't misquote me, I guess. But like, I want to say he like picked up a bucket or something in his yard, copperhead, copperhead up under him got him man his arm was swole up mm-hmm. and he's like it was a year or so later he's like it's still sore you know so these people talk about getting bit by it getting over it handling another snake next week you know something to it i guess you know, but, there's an admiration i have for those people yeah is uh i, I want to eventually cover it myself i want to have some of these pastors uh, yeah. on the podcast just to, to cover it uh, yeah. I, I believe they're i mean according to the book it's, it's still going and it's being passed yeah, down it is and I mean, they're they're marrying outside of snake handling, and I mean, it can only lead to more snake That's handling, it. right? Yeah, yeah, there's a wedding in the book, and I mean, she you could see she the distress of, of the yeah. you know the mother of the bride was yeah. like, I don't know about this. What's crazy, man, is it almost seemed like I mean, yeah, I, I don't have anything against any foreign culture. I mean, we go to Guatemala, do all these different things, but they were from Michigan. Mm-hmm. They were from the girl was from Michigan, and she was marrying a guy from. I don't know if he's from Tennessee. Yeah, he was. He's from Tennessee. Because there was a reputation That's about right. the Tennessee, the Tennessee snake, handlers. snake handlers. Yeah, they were supposed to be rough on their wives or yeah. something like that. And um, kind of seemed that way in the ending. But yeah. um, she felt like that her daughter was like marrying into a cult or marrying some like foreign culture. And, you know, you're talking about what from Michigan to Tennessee, you know, several hundred miles. But it's we're still the same country, still everything. But... It kind of seemed like in the book she thought like she was in some foreign land. That's it. Is you know, and it was all over the place to her everything about it. But she attended the service that night. Mm-hmm. She went to the church service that night that they supposedly got out of the word. You know. Yeah, that that was probably my favorite 
part of the book was yeah. you know because um, the thing about the infiltration or however you want to phrase it was brother carl knew that dennis yeah was a brother yeah he knew he was because you go but, back but he when, also knew that he didn't belong right because you go back to when they were in jolo when they were in west virginia mm. which is so ironic to me because it was funny because throughout the book and i'm not gonna spoil anything but like yeah. brother carl would always tease him he's like you gonna handle tonight you gonna handle tonight it's like he was it's like he knew he would yeah he could see it and and don't get me wrong i think brother carl was wrong at the end saying he was out of the word but i still think brother carl's a good man and I still think, because it even talked about, they still had conversations. That's right. It was still and there. And he went on to say, like, so the disagreement was, uh, I mean, even some Baptist churches are still yeah. this way. I mean, it says that in the book, the majority of your Southern Baptist churches, especially in Alabama and here yeah. in the South. Still, still don't allow women to be deacons or hold leadership yeah. in the church. And that was a disagreement. It was over Mary Magdalene. With the, yeah. It was like the first evangelist yeah. was Mary Magdalene to the, the disciples. The first person that carried the fact that Jesus was no longer in the tomb was a woman. Yeah. It just was. I mean, she didn't have a clue who Jesus was in the moment. And then all of a sudden, you know, because she, uh, what is it in John 19? Uh, yeah, it's John 19. She says, um, it says that she's supposing, supposing is not the word that's there, but she's thinking that it's the gardener and she's not recognizing him. I think because he's more in a glorified state than he was yeah. In his, he was still in his fleshly body, but in a more glorified state, had been dead for three days. And then he says, Mary, and then it says he, she came to herself. All of a sudden, she knows everything that's going on. And, of course, she loses it because she's found him, and he's alive. What's going on? And he says, and go tell, and then they don't believe him. Yeah. They don't believe her, you know? And so it's that thing. I mean, I know of churches where people have had issues with, you know, a woman being called on to pray. And to me, prayer is the farthest thing from a position of authority prayer is a humbleness thing that's not a position of authority by any means that's right but there's still you know situations where they don't want a lady uh teaching in mixed company if it's men and women you know i know a church not too far from here that you can it's not that way now but you when you there's two front doors there was a women's door and a men's men's door. door and when you walk in the door you can see where they took a saw and cut off the divider wall down the middle aisle of the church. You ever been in church has got that middle aisle in it? The divider wall down through there. And it went all the way to the communion table at the front. So if a woman went to the front and prayed, or if if she had something going on on that side, the men on this side never had a clue. And, I mean, that's right here 30 miles from where we're sitting at right now in Ethelsville, Alabama. I mean, it's not right. like that in that church now, but it's still there. That's right. But what's so ironic to me that I did not realize the first time I read the book, and I'm going to see if you realize it, the problem arose because of a woman in a place of authority. But do you remember when he went to West Virginia? And he got there and the pastor got up and preached. But it said, uh, this was the quote in the book. It says, Sister, Sister Barbara Elkins, who held the true power. Did you realize that? I did not. All right. So this is before the ending of the book. And again, not really spoiling any, but before the ending of the book, they go to West Virginia, this revival. And even Brother Carl has encouraged Dennis to go to this revival. And it's this long drive. They get lost and they get up there and like, man, it it pictured like something. I mean, me and and Allen's both from Southern Lamar County. It pictured like something up there. Mm -hmm. It said this white church building perched on this hill with a late model car hanging over the gully suspended with kudzu. 
That sound like Kennedy right yeah. there. I mean, that's it. That's so, what you're we talking got. about my church. Yeah, <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, I know where that's at. But this was in West Virginia, and they get there, and the pastor preaches, and then his wife, sister Barbara Elkin, gets up, and she lays in on all these reporters, and she's hammering Dennis is what she's doing. Yep. Because he's up at the front with the handlers, and she said this is real. She said she even bit. In the book, it looks like it says 116 times. But I don't know if that's supposed to be 16 or 116. I, I don't know. Yeah. 116 seems a little... That's a bit of a stretch. A little overboard. But who who knows? But she got up there saying, you know, this thing's real. And uh, they were drinking strychnine and all this. And, and this is people's lives and all this. And you can view it, but you need to view it from back there. They didn't have a problem with the authority up there as long as she was agreeing with them. But then when it got down there to I think it's Kingston, Georgia, or yeah. wherever they were, and it, and brother Carl got over his uh, and brother, video, yeah, the the girl was taking pictures, yeah. and he turned around and he just laid in on her because she was out because she was out because her husband wasn't there, and she was outside working and doing all these things and here in this place and all this, and he lays in on her, and this seems like this is just maybe a, a couple of months or some a little bit of time. After they were okay with this lady up here in West Virginia browbeating everybody up here mm-hmm. because it lined up with what they thought. And then you get down here and they don't like the way things are going or whatever else has happened. You're in this service after this wedding that day and these other people there that don't agree with what's going on. And then all of a sudden you flip the switch and you've got a problem with women in authority. You know, if there's a double standard, did you realize that the first time you read it? Not the first time. Like but, I but I remember I remember the conversation. Now I remember her standing up and like chastising Dennis and right. He's like, you, if you're gonna journal this, you journal from right back from back there. there. And because Dennis in the book, he says that he spent the remainder of the service, um, in the back with a journalist. And then at the end of that chapter, um, uh, it's the chapter in the book is named is titled Jolo. Um, at the end of that cha- chapter, Brother Carl comes to him. And says, Dennis, um, you know, I'm kind of sorry right? about tonight. I should have defended you, and I didn't. And he's, he was going to defend him there, but then when it was in his church mm-hmm. in Georgia, he says he's out of the word. You know, and, and he wasn't. I mean, I, I have no problem with saying you've already said it. He wasn't out of the word. That's right. What he said was true fact. Because what you said, the first evangelist, and some people would say the first preacher. Because I think so many times we get caught up on the titles of pastor and preacher way differently. They are. All the word preacher means is heralder of the gospel. Yeah. So when you think about somebody heralding something, when I think of the herald, I think of like the Birmingham Herald or whatever, yeah. the newspaper. Yeah, someone giving the news. That That's it. But a heralder means a proclaimer. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm to proclaim the gospel. Everybody that's a Christian is called to be a preacher. Now, not necessarily behind a pulpit, pulpit. in a pastoring form, but I'm to preach not just with my voice, but with my life. That's right. Everything that I do is supposed to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim that Jesus is alive, to, pray, to proclaim that he's a risen Savior and a live Savior, not in a tomb somewhere, and that he was the Son of God. I'm supposed to do all of those things within my life, which is, by definition, preaching. But if you were to tell somebody, not just somebody, but a majority of people that, a woman was preaching, they automatically think standing in a position of authority telling everybody how they should live. 
that's not it. Preaching is the gospel. Mm-hmm. And to me, you don't preach a sermon. A sermon has to have a gospel in it or it's not a sermon because it's not preaching if it's not the gospel. Yeah. It's a teaching. It's a lecture. It's a doctrine. It's a lecture. It's a suggestion, if you would, if you get out of the word. But it's not preaching. Preaching's the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Dennis was doing that night when they said that he was out of the word and they shut it down. He was getting to the gospel. What was crazy was, um, you know, he had his friend say he had a massive headache that he had to leave mm-hmm. that service, and it was so ominous. Yeah. And it was right there. Like, right when I read that, I was like, i got to finish the book tonight. Yep. You can't, at that point, you know, if, if you get to that point, you see it coming, and you ain't got 30 minutes like, left to finish it, okay, and you better back, shut it down. And back up, like, five pages before, Brother, Brother Carl was talking about, I just caught the biggest rattlesnake right. I've ever called. Right. And I was yeah. like, oh no. Get, yeah, you think you're getting bit. Yeah. You think he's getting bit and you know he wrote the book so he survived. Yeah. But at the same time, this thing's fixing to get bad. Yeah. You know, somebody's fixing to get bit bad. You know, I'm picturing like the old Ray Stevens song where the squirrel went berserk. You know, this rattlesnake has lost it crawling through the pews, bit everybody. Yeah. You know, what's because in my mind, I mean, I've killed a couple of snakes yeah. Here in Alabama, I mean, I've killed one in the parking lot of this church that was like six foot eight inches. Jesus. You know, I don't know what the deal is right around here. Like, when I lived in Millport up that way, like, if we killed a snake, it was either just some random non-poisonous chicken snake or every once in a while a copperhead. Every snake I've killed since I've lived here has been a rattlesnake. Every snake. I don't know if it's just these heels right around here or what, but, you know, you start talking about a, a six foot long rattlesnake that's big around or bigger than a Pepsi can. Yeah. You're talking about 30... I can just see that like crawling loose and just striking. That's what I pictured Mm -hmm. when he said that and then this guy says he's got to leave. Then he comes back later and says, I knew what was going to happen. God had showed it to me. I got out. That's also another guy, if he's still living, I would really like to sit down and talk to. Yeah. And I was like, you know, why'd you leave? Right. That's my question is like... Yeah. Because you agree with him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You, you had to get out. And you, you know? knew that you was going to side with him, so you had to leave. You had to leave, yeah. You knew it. <coughs> yeah. You even knew where the message was going. You knew everything was there. But somehow you also still knew it wasn't right. Yeah. It's like you knew. To me, that's what I found in it. The guy knew that he was going to side with Brother Carl, knowing Brother Carl wasn't right. Yeah. But it was the culture. It was where you are. It was almost that agreement, even knowing this is wrong, because you feel like maybe it's for the better good. I don't know. I don't know what the agreement would be there because I can't find not agreeing with the word. Maybe it's for the sake of friendship. I mean, me and you, I'm sure, you know, uh, through college and stuff you were in and just me in ministry, I've seen people back up on things that they've said just to maintain a friendship or something. You, you know? know, it's um, that, that that's scary to me. And I guess this is like going off <laughs> into the next area. Is, yeah. Uh, great friend of mine. Um, you know, uh, she had been... She hadn't been to Guatemala. She had been to Nicaragua, uh, Nicaragua, yeah. uh, probably um, more times than you and I together. Wow! Uh, in Guatemala, yeah. And um, she called me distressed. Maybe it was a month or two ago. It's one evening, and uh, you got a minute to talk. Said, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I don't know if I believe the word anymore. Wow! Wow! And I said. You know, when we used to sit in those study halls and we were studying, it was like there was nobody more in the Word than you. Yeah, was she in school with you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had the same degree, graduated together. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's so crazy. 
what, uh, what causes this belief? I don't trust the translation. Oh, yeah. I said, well, what are you not trusting about the translation? Is it all this about the homosexuality community coming up lately and how that the Bible really doesn't speak against homosexuality, that it's actually speaking against pedophilia? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, that. And I've just been finding a lot of contradictions lately. And I was like, show me one contradiction. Yeah. Well, I don't have anything ready. Well, you don't have one. Right. You just find some things you didn't like. You just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you, I mean, I don't know where I'm assuming. Yeah. That, but I've faced that, that same conversation That's what times. I gathered. Yeah. It's like you finally found something in there that you didn't like. You didn't like. It didn't sit good with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. I, You know, I've heard people and I toss all these different things about contradictions and this and that. And one of two things. Every time I've come across somebody saying that the Bible is a book of contradictions or that it, this doesn't line up with this part, this doesn't line up with this part, one of two things has happened. And I'm not saying this just because I believe that. That's just what I've came across every time mm-hmm. is that, number one, they have either found something they did not like and got convicted about it. And I get, I guess, the conviction point kind of on that standpoint a little bit later probably if we get there, wherever this goes. But they got bothered by it. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to agree with the Bible. They didn't want to agree with what it said. They didn't want to agree if they were Christian with what the Spirit was telling them about it. So they said that can't be right. Or they pulled something. The term gets tossed around all the time, pulled out of context. Mm-hmm. They pulled one piece from over here that was talking about this people group mm-hmm. or this time period. And I'm not a huge dispensationalist, even though I know that there are time periods there. They pulled this thing in the Old Testament where the the Jewish people were under a punishment from God and are comparing it over here to a, uh, a gracious period that we're in now in the church age where we're not under that punishment of God right now. We've got grace and mercy from God and trying to compare those two things together. You, you can't do that. They don't agree, but they're not contradicting each other. They don't agree because this was God dealing with this people at this time, and this is God dealing with this people at this time. It would be the same thing as trying to say to a point, vastly different, but to a point, it would be the same thing as me. I've got a nine-year-old son and a five-month-old daughter. It would be like me holding them both to the same standard of how they act. That's right. If John Mark falls out, rears back, and starts screaming at the top of his lungs, and there's nothing terribly wrong we're going to have to have a long discussion about that's not how we act but my five month old that's all she knows to do that's right she rears back and starts screaming it may be because she just wants you to hold her different instead of facing backwards she wants to be facing forward it's not that big of a deal but that's all she knows that's how she gets her those aren't contradicting punishments they're just to two different people at two different times in their lives that's the thing man is uh I describe it as like God has got two hands. Right. Like I, um, you, and another thing people can't get off of, and I'm not trying to go here, but it's like we're made in the image of God. We're the image bearers of God. Well, what does that mean? I believe it's conscious. Yeah. Is that we have a brain that we think and we know what is right. We know what is we, wrong. I think it's because we ask the question why. Yeah. Every other animal just does what they're supposed to do. That's right. We ask why and we'll go against the system. That's it. You know, so there's something to well, that it. That goes right back to the garden. That goes back to sin nature. Yeah. It, but um, he's got two hands. He's got a hand of justice and a hand of mercy. You want to talk Old Testament? That's justice. justice. Yeah. 
You want to talk new? We'll get back to that that's word mercy. justice in a minute, too. That's mercy. That's yeah, mercy. But yeah. he also had mercy in the Old Testament. He also has justice, justice in the now. New. But it's the heavier point yeah. of where he's at and what he's allowing to happen. What he's Because he allows everything. Anything that happens, he allows it. And what he's allowing to happen there and those things. And, you know, I said those two things that one of those two things happen when somebody finds a contradiction is they took something out of context. And the only way you take something out of context is if you just read it. You know, people say all the time, well, I've read the Bible. Well, that's good. But I've read a bunch of books that I don't remember anything I read. And the Bible itself doesn't say to read it. It says study. And the translation of that word is to break apart. That's what that word translates out to, to break apart. Mm -hmm. In other words, to dissect it, to see what's inside of it, to take it apart piece by piece, layer by layer. If you study the Bible, you're not going to find any contradictions. That's right. If you read it, you'll find all of them you want to find. And the devil will lay them in your lap, too. He sure will. Yeah. That's that's the thing about it is like, man, we, if you just take the Bible base level and you just say you're going to start reading in Genesis and you'll get bogged down by Exodus. And if you don't get bogged down there, good luck with Leviticus. Yeah. (laughs) When somebody says, I want to read the Bible, where should I start? Not at the beginning. No. No. Uh, how, going, about, how about Mark? Yeah, yeah. Go to Mark. It's fast-paced. Go from Mark to James because James will hit you in the mouth. And then go where you want to from there because you'll be interested. Yeah. But if you start in Genesis, you'll make it through Genesis. You'll you'll ease into Exodus and you'll be okay and you'll hit Leviticus. Wait till you get to the law. And it'll be like that van going up the hill in Guatemala. Something's got to get out. Yeah. This thing's too heavy. We got too many repetitions right here. Yeah. And that's where the contradictions start is like you start seeing these like, this thing's okay. telling me not to eat barbecue. Yeah, I mean, what's the deal here? Okay, because it, <laughs> at the time, that's really good health advice. Yeah. You're not living in that time, so you don't really understand why. Right. It wasn't the, the point. To and it. then it was a big deal with Peter, because Peter, and like Peter, was a Jew. And then when the, the carpet came down in Acts, and he yeah. saw uh, that the pig and all these animals, they became unclean. And he was like, no, I ain't, no, I've been clean all my life. And he said, you're missing the whole point. Yeah. You're going to have to all let go of that. Th- all things are clean. Peter was doing what people were do- people do now. Yeah. He was pulling something out from over here and trying to apply it now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not it. The, it's not that the word of God has changed. God hasn't changed. We're just in a different part of his plan now than it was then. Sure. In a different people group. In a different situation. But we can't twist the word of God to make it fit whatever we want to either. And a word you went to a while ago is I think what a lot of people are doing with that. In, in our culture today, in our world today, is this word justice. What does that mean? We hear justice tossed around a lot. It's lost its meaning. It, it gets it gets the <laughs> word uh, social justice put in front of it. Oh, yeah. It gets the word justice thought about just in a courtroom punishment type thing. Getting justice for what somebody has done. The word justice doesn't mean that. That's right. The word justice, when you say anything justice and you're talking about a retaliation or you're talking about a courtroom decision, that's not justice. You have, you have perverted a word. And I, that sounds bad, but you have misinterpreted. You have using a perversion of that word. The word means righteousness. Mm-hmm. So if you take out, just say social justice. If you take out justice and you say social righteousness, and you go with the biblical definition of righteousness, which is what we have to do because we're not getting our definitions from Webster's Dictionary. We're getting it from God's Dictionary, the Word of God. If you take righteousness 
Well, now all of a sudden we're talking about God's standard. And the reason the word justice has been perverted and used so wrongly is because the majority of people using this word justice so much don't believe in God's standard. That's right. And they they begin to, it's moving a field goal post. Yeah. To where, okay, we we scored the field goal here. Yeah. Let's back up and see if we can take that down. Yeah. And like when you when you start getting these, it's exactly what it is. Justice is righteousness. Right. But these people are self righteous. Right. They're not looking for because the right. there's not God's standard. Yeah. They don't have they don't have a they don't have a line that they go by. Right. There's no line in the sand. Right. So it's it's almost. They live to a point to each their own. You know, I think this is right, so this has to be right. I feel this way, so this has to be fact. And then if they find somebody, they come across, and one person says, well, this is fact, and one person says, this is fact. Well, one of two things has to happen. One of you is wrong, or both of you is wrong. Because <laughs> there's no way both of you is right. That's right. Um because there is a truth and people don't believe in a truth and people don't believe in that moral standard. But if you're going to use the word justice, you've got to use it correctly in the way to say it's talking about righteousness and righteousness is talking about lining up with God's word, lining up with God's moral law and God's written law. And even like, uh, I like listening to Jordan Peterson and yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that he's a Christian, but I would say that he's a really good thinker. Uh, he's a clinical psychologist. And, he's extremely I mean, smart. Yeah. And if you've, Listen to the granddaddy of all podcasts. You know that Jordan's been on Joe Rogan's, yeah. and he's been on several other podcasts since because he's hard to destroy because yeah. he's so well. You're not put talking together. him down. He's so well put together, right? And so when he approaches the Bible, he approaches these biblical stories. Like I've been, he's got a, a, a these biblical lectures that he goes through, and he starts right. in Genesis and he works his way through, and I've really enjoyed them, and it's really. It's really helped me with, uh, I guess, apologetics and mm-hmm. just um, understanding a different point of view. And I'm not coming at the Bible as someone who already believes, right? But with someone who uh, just has doubt, right? And even if you don't take, let's just take the story of uh, uh, Cain and Abel. Yeah. What's the moral of the story? Even if you do not believe it realistically happened, what what's the overall moral of the story? Man, you got murder. Murder's wrong. And that's where we're at. <laughs> and it took one generation of people to get there. Yeah. To murder. Yeah. You know? And that murder's wrong. And then that's what it is. And 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 murder was a killing for no reason. Didn't have to have a gun. Didn't have to have anything. You just had a rock. Mm-hmm. And, and you find that. And, man, you know, talk, talking about Jordan Peterson there, uh, I've listened to some of the podcasts that he has, not all of them, some of the ones on the Bible there. I'm convinced of this. He keeps staying right there where he's digging. If he's not a Christian, he will be. He will. I think so. He's figuring out, listening to it because I'm listening to it from a point of faith. And faith does not mean that you don't ever have doubt. That's right. That is a lie. There's doubt because the devil is very good at what he does. Mm -hmm. We got to go back to the Garden of Eden and understand you had two people and one rule. And the devil cast doubt with two people living in in paradise, living in perfection with one rule, and he cast doubt on that one rule. They were closer to God than me and you. They were closer to God than anybody else oh, that has been on this planet. They literally, other than Jesus Christ himself, they literally walked with God, and the devil deceived them. Now, we want to look down our nose sometimes at, at Adam and Eve, 
but we would have done ate the fruit already without the devil having to work that hard. Mm-hmm. He'd have knocked the fruit off and let it roll over there by us, and out of laziness, we'd have reached and got it. You know, we, it wouldn't have took that much effort. But he stays right there where he's at long enough, Jordan Peterson does. Yeah. I think he'll find God. I really do. You know, when they were... Uh, if, he, if he's, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but if he's not... This goes back to uh, what we said about, you know, the simple life of Guatemala. Yeah. Um, they realistically do it, and we're here in the first world, so that we somehow get... And I believe you take years off your life when you begin to do this, so I don't really get involved with it, but... When you when your life becomes revolved around politics, yeah, social media, social justice, right, um, all these things that do far as politics, vote. Don't tell anybody who you voted for. It's nobody's business. And shut up. Right. That's about it. Yeah. And if your guy won, great. If he didn't, try again next time. Right. That's it. That's the end of the line. Yeah. I mean, my whole thing right now, and I think I told you this the other night, just in conversation, was like. People saying, not my president, this or that. That's wrong. He is. And, and I'll say this, and, and I'll probably, whoever listens to this, I'll probably get some backlash over it, but that'll be fine too. They, if they want to pick up their Bible and argue with me, that'll be fine. But right now, whether you agree with the president or not, pray for him. Whether you agree with anything that he's doing or not, our task as Christians is to pray for him. And our prayer should not be that he fails. Our prayer should be that he's the greatest president the United States has ever had. Uh-huh. And that if he's not a Christian, that he gets saved. And that the vice president's not a Christian, that she gets saved. And if the Speaker of the House or the, the head of the Senate or that every congressman there, if they're not saved, they get saved. Because that should be our prayer for every individual we meet, not That's just right. the president. For our neighbor, for our children, for our grandparents, for our parents, for our employers. That should be our prayer. That they get saved, God turns their life around, and they become the greatest person that they could possibly be because they've got God. That should be our prayer. Uh-huh. But we're not doing that because we don't have that simple life. We're too caught up in the division that has happened. Oh, yeah. And that same division, you, you, I mean... That's how you tear a nation apart. In my opinion, God pointed it to you a while ago. But that same division the devil got on Cain and Abel, he's got on the United States right now. He's got on this world right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the debate of there is no moral truth. There is no standard. That the Bible says this is okay because that's the way I think it ought to say. Or mm-hmm. so-and-so wrote this translation and they like that, so that's what they put in there. Or whatever, not going back to what was originally said and not studying out and finding what God actually says about truth. And you, some people would say, well, how in the world can you know? You're talking about this document written over 2,000 years and all these different languages and these things are all that. That's what God does. He reveals it to you. So wait, you mean to tell me God's revealed everything to you? Nope. You say, Jordan, Alan, has God revealed everything to you? No. But my prayer is he reveals something else tomorrow because I should be closer to God tomorrow through following him farther tomorrow than I went today. A revelation at a time. Right. God's going to convict me about something tomorrow that he hasn't convicted me about to now, up until this point. Was it wrong up until this point? Absolutely. But now he's telling me that it's wrong. goes back to the same thing I was talking about with John Mark and Allie Joe a while ago. I hold John Mark to a higher standard than I do Allie Joe because he's older. Yeah, he ought to know better. He, he ought to know better. And us as Christians, we, we ought to know better. Now, we can't hold somebody that's not a Christian to the same standard, though. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always surprised me when people seem so surprised that a lost person acts the way they do. They're lost and they don't have God. They're blinded. They don't understand. Yeah. And those things. And when you, you know, getting back to like what Brother Carl said and then moving forward into this part about that simple life and all those things, the water's too muddy for us to see out. And, and I think the reason that it seems so shocking to us that somebody would have enough faith to pick up a rattlesnake is because we're lacking the faith. Now, that, that would, I, would I pick up a rattlesnake? 
don't I, know. I, I think I might. I don't. I wouldn't drink poison. I know this. You go back to what I talked about a while ago. How I heard that lady talking in Guatemala, and I knew it was God. In my lifetime, God has called me to do three things. One was to be saved when I was a young kid. Mm-hmm. Two was to was to preach, was to surrender to the ministry and pastor, do whatever he asked me to do from that point forward in ministry. That was the second. And the third was to adopt. That's those three things. If I heard pick up that snake and those exact same voices. That'd be the fourth call. That'd be the fourth call. Would I do it? I'd love to say I would, but I don't know because I ran from the call to ministry for four years. It took me two and a half years to really confirm in me, God didn't change his call, but to confirm in me that he was calling us to adopt. I really feel like I got saved the first time God told me I was lost, but I know a lot of people that ran from it and didn't for a long time, years Mm. and years and years. So would I pick it up? I'd love to say I would if I knew it was God, but I'm not sure. You say, well, how could you sit there and say and discourage people in faith that say that you wouldn't pick it? Because I'm being honest because I know I lack faith. The Bible says very plainly, if you have the faint of a grain of mustard seed, just a piece of the mustard seed, you can move a mountain. That's a mountain full of snakes. That's a mountain full of things you don't like. You know, it's picking up fuego in Guatemala and sliding off and either pick, pick, pick which one we're going left in the Pacific or we're going right in the, which way we're going. Yeah. You know, start, no, I think I'll put it over here. Gulf you know, of Mexico or yeah, which, 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 Pacific. Which, I, I'm going to be at the beach in a couple of weeks. I'm going to put it in the Gulf and let the water warm up. I, I'm going to go that way. There That's the kind of faith we could have. And, and I don't have that. You know, and I'm not looking down on, I'm not looking up at people that do or down that don't. I just know who I am. And, and, and Paul said he was the chief of sinners. And that was after Paul knew the gospel and after he had quit killing Christians, he still said he was the chief of sinners. Yeah. But we're so we've muddied the water so much. The simple life is so far gone and, and watching the news and, and whatever else, That's right. you know, and not we're to, we've got more faith in that. And we know that's corrupt, but somehow so many people, including myself at times have more faith in the, the news we read on Facebook than we do what the Bible says. True that. Yeah. But the thing about being kicked out of the garden was that, uh, you know, everybody got their promise. Yeah. Satan got his, that the son would triumph and that he would crush the head with the heel. Yeah. That man would toil and that work would be hard. Yeah. Sweat of his brow. You know why? Because he'd be worried about the future. Yeah. Yeah. Right there, right when, right when he decided to eat of the fruit, that he... You know that you could be like God. You could you could make your own decision. You could be that wise, right? If you want to be that wise, well, you got to figure it out tomorrow, big boy. Yeah. But then here comes New Testament, and Jesus teaching us that if He cares for the bird of the field, He'll care for you. Yeah. We see that mercy. Yeah. Uh, but it goes hand in hand. It's yeah. like just because there's mercy doesn't mean there's not work. Right. I mean that's the thing, and and you know I've got partial sermons written everywhere, I guess, but. You'll find a lot of places in God's Word. You'll find a lot of places in the Bible where the promise we're given is inside of a punishment. Right there, Genesis 3.15, which is called the Proto-Evangelium, the first presentation of the Mm -hmm. gospel. It's inside of the punishment for the devil that man is given his promise. That would come from the seed of a woman and it would bruise or crush the head of the serpent. It would crush Satan and that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
It's inside of a punishment that we can find a promise. But mm-hmm. then you look around us in the world today. We're in the midst of punishment. We're in the midst of a nation that's turned its back on God. We're in the midst of a nation that's worshiping sin mm-hmm. and making it so open and saying that everything is this equality thing that's not biblical. And I'm not talking about that people aren't equal because people are equal, but reward it's not the type of equal we're talking about. That's right. We all have equal opportunity of the cross. It's a level playing field at the foot of the cross. We all have, the, the Bible says very plainly that God has presented himself unto all men. Mm-hmm. We all have the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. That's the greatest equality you'll ever have. Everything after that is man-made things going on. And it's not God. But we get on this thing of, of this equality and and separating all these things out and then everybody has to be on this exact same thing. And that's pushing the providence of God aside. And I'm not talking about male or female. I'm not talking about punishments for sins or all that. But God has me in the place I'm in because that's where he want, needs me to be at for the furtherance of the gospel, for preaching it. You know, you, you've got a college degree from a, from a Christian college. Mm-hmm. I've got a high school degree from a 1A school <coughs> in Millport, Alabama. Yeah. But if I had a degree, and, and, and I, w- I would love to take classes, and I've even tried to at times, and God made a way that I didn't. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm not saying I'm against it. I, again, I'll repeat, I would love to have them. But if I had them, I might not be where I am today. That's right. But, and this is where God has for me to be. And when we start talking about that we as people have got to get everybody on the same playing field, we're trying to play God. God's providence puts us in these places. God's providence puts us there. God's providence put this lady on a hillside in Guatemala. What put her there? Is she blinded because of her punishment, because of sin, or all these things? The Bible says that's not true. Jesus Christ himself says that's not true. But that's where she is. And one of my greatest spiritual moments is due to this lady on this hillside that recognizes my voice walking down the hill and goes pointing to something that people here at this church where I might not be if I had some education and was some polished individual. Kids in our church colored those things in the room across the hallway. And here, this is, I might not have been there without the providence of God putting me where I'm supposed to be. Brother Dennis in the book might not have been there without God putting him where he was supposed to be to realize who he was. I like the way that he wrapped up was, uh, you know, he was telling about how, you know, you would say what he grew up in the 70s. Yeah. You know, mom would come out with the oh, bell, yeah. ringing the bell. The clothes on the book, yeah. That was back when kids could play out in the street. That's right. Or inside yeah, a pond like, and my, my didn't have to be wrapped in bubble that. wrap. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's the way it is today. <laughs> yes, sir. But uh, he said, you know, my dad would know that I was out at the pond, but uh, he wouldn't call for me. He'd go to where I was. That's right. Yeah. And that's it. That's man. the same with God. Yeah. He's going to come right where you're And that's at. the thing. Like, I mean, I tell people, like, I, I'm, I've been curious and I've been praying for months and trying to figure out what in the world to do with myself. It's like, okay, I know God has called me to do two things. I've done those two things. And then the rails fell off the cart. Right. And then you. it's kind of like being lost in the wilderness. What do and I do now? To, trying to figure out what's what's the next move. What do I need to do? Right. How do I prepare for what you want me to do? And who are the people that I'm supposed to be interacting with? Right. And um, no revelation yet. And that's fine. So, uh, but but I think about that as like in his time, he'll reveal all things and it'll be just perfect. Right. And all this time spent in between, like not being able to finish my master's and, 
uh, all the things that happened uh, past couple of years that yeah. that I, I I don't understand, and I, I don't I don't know what the point is. It will be. It'll all be known one day. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You'll get to a point, and anybody that, that could possibly listen to this the same way, if, if you're in that position, if you're not a believer, you don't have any help in it, but if you're in that position where the dentist finishes that, or dentist finishes that book, and he says, you know, my dad never called till he come where I was. Well, you know, he knew where he was the whole time. Yeah. He came out there, and he glanced across. He knows where he is. He walks right to him, and he calls him. And then he reflects back on that. And then you take that to where you are. You take that to where we've been with adoption stuff, where I've been in ministry with all these different things. And anytime we've gone through those situations, like he's talking about where you're praying, God, am, am I in the right place? Where am I supposed to be all this? And then all of a sudden he gives that next step. All the rest of the steps that you thought he wasn't leading in, all of a sudden makes sense. Uh-huh. You know, I think so many times we want to get from bottom step to top step of this giant staircase of life, I guess, in one step. That's it. And, and like all can't. those hard lessons yeah. that are the steps. Because um, you wouldn't be worth nothing when you got there. That's right. You wouldn't know. You, you wouldn't have it. it. It wouldn't be there. You know, like some of my greatest like ministry over the past two or three years has been like dealing with people who are going through a divorce. Yeah. And like some of these people, I only know like by name or on base level. Yeah. And, um, you know, they might start the conversation over Facebook messages and be like, hey, um, we got mutual friends. Uh, they said that you you worked through your divorce. You, you worked through your divorce yeah. healthily, without therapy, um, advice. I'm, I'm about to go through one. Yeah. And I was like, dang, but one thing to do. Yeah. I was like, you better, le- if you have faith, you better lean in. Yeah, and if you ain't got you, it, you better find it. Yeah, and let me tell you, there's going to be a lot of nights where it ain't enough, and you're going to yeah. have to call on your brothers and sisters yeah. to pray. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it, you know, everybody's got their times and their trials. I mean, majority of people don't know it. My congregation of folks do, but I fight depression hard. And, you know, one of one man put it this way when he was speaking of depression. He said, I was fighting hell by the acre. You know, that's probably more of a southern <laughs> southern illustration, but I think it gets the point across and 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 he said, you know, we want to think about this and, and man, I went through that time period, I mean, just in the past couple of months, that down and out, that depressive thing. It, it's not a sadness. I mean, anybody that's that's been depressed knows it ain't sadness. No. Sadness don't cut it. Um, I don't think the word depression cuts it because it gets used too much to get a medicine to make you feel better or whatever, but um, I found that true depression ain't really nothing helping it. You're just there. Mm-hmm. And so many times you're in that point, like you're talking about, you wonder why. And man, I spent downtime, like through the holidays, before them, during them, after them, some downtime. And grown man don't care to admit it all. Sometimes I just went to bed because I was tired of crying, tired of being upset. And he's like, man, well, that's just being a wimp, whatever. You can call it what you want to. Depression's bad. Mm-hmm. And then the other night, I got a phone call and a lady's window had fell out of her house. Literally, window just fell out into the kitchen. Hit the counter. Didn't bust, but hit the counter. Just It's one of those windows that like you tilt it in to clean it. Uh huh. It just fell out. It's raining outside, raining in the house. Get a message or a phone call and say, hey, could you, could you come see if you get this window back in? I got over and go to put the window back in. Takes like eight seconds. She just couldn't reach it. You had to squeeze the tabs in on the side, raise the window to the top, pop it in and close the window. Mm-hmm. Didn't take nothing. 
So I talked for just a minute. I'm fixing to go out the door. And she's like, hey, you, you got a minute? I said, yeah. You got something I should name and do? She's like, well, I just want to talk to you. You know, just all the things going on with COVID. I just haven't been able to get out of the house. I haven't been able to do anything. And I've just, I just gotten so depressed and I don't know what to do. And then, so this whole time I'm on, I'm in that situation. God, why do I have to deal with this? I, I, I know I'm doing what you asked me to do, but I'm still depressed. I still don't. Why am I going through all these things? Why am I dealing with this battle? Why am I going through all that? And when she asked me this question, God like reaches down and pops me in the back of the head and said, this is why. And when I told her, I, I, I said, I said, I ain't gonna call her name, but I said, ma'am, I said, uh, it was more personal than that. But I said, ma'am, I said, uh, you know, up until about the past week and a half, I was fighting the same thing. Ooh. It didn't matter what else I told her. She just knew that I knew what she was talking about. And I said, well, let's pray about it. I, I talked some more. And I said, let's pray about it right now. I'm going to keep praying for you. And she let me know later. She said, it was just the greatest thing to know that I wasn't the only person going through it. That's you know, and when you're in those things, and, and, and again, it gets back to that. I was talking about questioning the providence of God. Why am I in this situation? What did I do? Why are the things going on today in the world today? Because they're part of God's plan. Mm-hmm. Some things are for punishment. Some things are for glorification. But they're all the plan of God. They're all the will of God. That's it. And it's just, it's just God working, man. Yeah, man. If there was just two things that, uh, you know, I could get everybody to do would be... Uh, you know, to be more curious about the gospel in a place like I would say Jordan Peterson's been. Yeah. And then two is like, just trust it. Yeah. Lean in. Yeah. And I'm talking about it's like that. Uh, if I were, if we were both stand up and I cross my arms and you'd be behind me and trust fall, you know. Yeah. Like, one thing about God though, he will catch you every time. That's right. There ain't no missing. There ain't no being out of place. There Probably is. all seen like that trust fall video where everybody thinks he's gonna fall backwards and he falls forward. Yeah. That don't happen with God. Yeah, he, he's always in that place. That you know? video's funny. It is funny. It's funny. I, I don't. Know. I don't know if that's off a show or what, but it's funny. I don't, I don't know what it's, it's all about funny. either. I've seen it though. It's funny because the thing is, is like I've done some group events and stuff like that. I can see it happening. Get somebody up there and they're worried about falling, and you tell them to close your eyes and heart, and I just fall. Man, what do you do if they start falling forward? <laughs> Panic. <laughs> it's too late. They were committed. They had faith and flat on the face <laughs> they went. All right, so this God stuff's not for you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you, oh, it's, you, you but you just way. got your built in illustration. That's not how God works. Yeah. You know, and it's just the truth. He's not. You know, and it, in the world today, man, so much going on. You know, and but you make that big loop back around to the Brush Arbor song. What's his name? It's uh, Will Stewart. Will Stewart. Brush Arbor song. You know, he, um, he says, Brother Carl, be here soon. Um, to save my soul when the spirit moves in the arbor. And then he talked about the copperheads in the golden hour or whatever. But, you know, that that recognition of, of something needing to happen. Brother Carl, be here soon. You know, and in, in that text, it's talking about Brother Carl talking about a pastor. And then Dennis talking about his dad coming to where he was in Colony. Man, it just speaks so much to like God putting you in that place and God using you where you are and God doing that. And that everybody's path is different, but the playing field's still level, and we all get back to that same place, back to that preacher, back to that proclaimer of the gospel, or well, back crazy. to the hearer of the gospel, either one. You know, and it's easy for us to look at another person's life and, I wish I had that path. Yeah. You really don't know what happens in the Not parts at all. that you don't see. Not you know? at all. 
not even close. I mean, and that's another thing about equity or equality that, that I don't really agree with. No. It's like, um, you know, there's probably a reason you're there. Right. I mean, there, there's a reason there isn't. And what gets me is so many times that people that want to scream equity or want to scream equality or, or whatever they want to stick right there. They're also so proud of their past. If you had equality and equity, there wouldn't be a past. That's right. It all gets put to the side. It's all gets put to this, if you want to call it socialist, communist, Marxist, whatever you want to call it right there, especially if you start talking about cultural Marxism where you start talking about getting everything equal no matter what, not just the economy, not just on the political side, but it's it's pushing God out of the way and saying we're going to make this thing utopia or we're going to make this thing heaven. I always have to go back and remind myself, man had that in the garden and man messed it up. That's right. Who knows, you know, people always want to say, well, Marxism has never worked. It's never been successful no matter where you tried it. Yeah, because men were doing it. That's right. And you're not going to find anything man does that's not going to fall apart. That's it. Um, you know, I, man, I remember uh, it was Keith and Andrea. Um, yeah. Andrea got me the audio version of John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life. Yeah. It's one of my favorite books. Um, I listen to it a lot. It's, I mean, the city still works. Keep it in my truck. Yeah. I listen to it. And he, he talks about, um, he, he was studying to be like a scientist at this time. Mm-hmm. John Piper's a bright guy. Yeah. And um, he was laid up in the hospital bed. I think he had like appendicitis. He had something going on. and um, He heard this old Bob Dylan song about the, Answer was just blowing in the wind. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite Dylan songs. Yeah. And it was at that time in his life because he had been laid up in the hospital that he was he had missed so many classes that he wasn't gonna be able to pass that class and so that he was gonna have to change his educational background now. He he wasn't gonna be able to do that now. Yeah. Or he was gonna have to wait till it came back around. Yeah. And the answer was so evident, and that's when God began to move in on his life. That wow. His greatest, you know, everything that he had been working for in his life at that point, it didn't matter because God was about to use him in a different right. capacity. He got him to that point, come, and called him. And, you know, people want to say that, <clears throat> you know, religion is the uh, it's, was, it's an opioid of the people. Yeah. If that's the case then Marxism or communism is methamphetamine to the people. Yeah, it is. It's hyperdrive or, or whatever. And, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Classical Marxism, I don't agree with it. Don't agree with the economics of it, but you're not talking about religion at that point. You're talking about economy. You're talking about different mm-hmm. things, which, again, I think we have a biblical design for. But... When you start talking about what we face today with like cultural Marxism to where everything has to be the same and everything has to be equal, well, that also makes it to where no one or no thing is more moral than something else, which would say that the Bible is no more truth than some fiction book on the shelf, um, which is just not true. I believe it started with postmodernism in the late 60s and it just started showing its head, you know, like in the 20-teens. Yeah. And it, it's full force because what postmodernism wants, it came from modernism, then we had postmodernism, and now some people said post-postmodernism. No, 
It's we're still in a modern, postmodernism era, only it's finally fulfilling what that mindset was right. made to do is to fuel socialism. Yeah. <clears throat> it's infiltrated um, all universities, with the exception of you know some private ones. Yeah. Like the one I studied at, it was it was a real good education. Yeah. It's highly expensive, but good thing for you, Joe Biden's going to cancel your student debt, so it won't matter soon. Yeah. But um, of man, I, I work in Starville, and I I know some of these uh, college students, and man, some of them have a brain, and some of them don't. Yeah. And they're they're easy to they're easy to pick out. Mm-hmm. Is those who think. You can tell that they think because, like, they can give you, you can ask them something and they'll give you an original response. Right. But those who are under, like, the postmodernist influence. It's like vain repetition. It's very, it's cookie cutter. It's yeah. like, if you talk to one, you talk to all of them. I mean, like, I have a brain, not, you know, not being in the derogatory meaning of that. It's just, you're not thinking for yourself. That's, yeah, and that's you're what just, I mean. Yeah. You're just following what you've been told. You're just saying this because it's what sounds good or what you've been told, which sadly is not only infiltrated all the universities and our political system. All culture. And all culture. Our, our movies. Uh, but it's also infiltrated the church house. That's it. Because you even go back, you can, you can go right here to Salvation on Sand Mountain where they were okay with a woman having authority when she was agreeing with them. And then when she didn't, or when somebody didn't, or somebody was different, all of a sudden it was a problem. Well, that just means it was opinionated and it wasn't the Word of God because Brother Carl stayed in the Word of God. He didn't get out of it. No matter what Brother Carl said, he he was in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. But you find in situations today where it's infiltrated the church so much because the church has become about me. And no matter what anybody tells you or says in these situations about socialism or about Marxism or whatever, I don't feel at all that you can be for that unless you're worried about me, not Jordan. We're worried about ourselves because we want that, the great life for free. We want that handout. We want that deception that the devil's given us that everything can be break be great without it costing me something without the sweat of the brow we want those things so it's very easy to be deceived to that but it's got so much to the church that the church has been made so much about me that people pick and choose what church they want to go to by the color patterns and what style of music and this and that and it's not about god mm-hmm. and all these political movements and all these things and all these it's about the individual wanting things the way they want it to be. And there's a pride in that. And it's that same pride that caused Cain and Abel. That's it. It's that same pride there. And it's like you said, it stemmed from that modernism, modernism and the postmodernism. And it stemmed from the education system, pushing God out and culture and is pushing is quote unquote, upstream, science and in. culture is upstream from politics. Right. And so like whatever's happened, in the culture is going to flow down the politics mm-hmm. and it's just but like even and i don't want to i don't want to attack but uh 
let's just say, you know, and they're going to make $15 an hour for federal jobs, minimum wage. I don't right. know about for the rest of the country, but if you were to do that, okay, how much does a gallon of milk cost right now? Four bucks. Okay, double that. Yeah. At least. Yeah, because if you take minimum wage to seven, from seven twenty-five to $15, but the thing about it is, is it's not just going to double. Because in the process of raising it to $15, even if they don't change the tax rate, if they do change it, you're talking about multiplying this. Mm-hmm. But without changing the tax rate, if you make seven twenty-five an hour, you're getting cut tax off of seven twenty-five an hour, which is in a percentage. And I'm not a mathematician, but I know if you take that same percentage of $15, you're bringing home a lower percentage than what you were. Not less money, but a lower percentage. But that's not going to affect that gallon of milk that's going to go up in price. And I say it puts it from $4 to $8, mm-hmm. which then is more of your hourly wage than it was to start with. So and no one t- really gets a raise. No. It's just like really dumb inflation. Right. That's all it is. It's... Or you're dumb enough it's to think... Infla- yeah. Yeah. It's caused inflation. It's human-made inflation yeah. out here. Where it's, yeah. We're pushing it. You've been wanting to raise. You wanted 15. They gave you 15, but everything goes up to where your living expense is exactly the same right. or you're worse off. Yeah. The only way we need to get to $15 an hour is to do more work in a day. You know. Yeah. You know, quit lounging around at work all day and put in the work, and we might be worth $15 an hour. And I'm talking to myself. I'm not talking to anybody else. Yeah. And my thing is, man, I've, I've worked a lot of different jobs and like, um, man, this is the best job I've ever had. Like, uh, as far as money or as far as like just being proud of what I do, um, it took a long time to get there. Yeah. Like I had to, it was a ladder, like these flipping burgers, like everybody was like, <laughs> he says $15 an hour ain't worth flipping burgers. It's not. Yeah. It's not. They call it minimum wage for a reason. Yeah. It's not a career job. You don't make a career out of working at Hardee's. No. You it's, do that while you're getting out of high school and trying to get out of your when you're not qualified house. or know how to do anything else. Yeah. That's it. You're not meant to be a 40-year-old flipping burgers at Burger King. No. That's, that's not a career job. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong. If if you are, I mean. If, if bad things is happening, that's where you're at. But if yeah. that's all the drive and initiative you've took, that's why you're making seven twenty-five an hour. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, hard times hit. Different things happen. I mean, my um, my profession, I guess, I don't like calling pastoring or preaching a job, and I don't look at it that way. But to put it in context of people that don't understand that, I, I use this illustration. I have a job that if I say something wrong today, it gets me a U-Haul in my driveway tomorrow because I live in a house at the church, from the church, so I can go from having a good job, um, job in quotation marks, air quotes, I guess, a good job and, and, a, and, a, and a great place to live to homeless with no job in a day. That's a pretty steep fall. And at that point, I'd take whatever job I would get. Thankfully, I've got some out there. I know I could just walk in and clock in and be fine. But those situations happen. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that person that's like, well, I'm just that's gonna, never tried. I'm gonna flip these burgers, and that's all I'm gonna do. And I'm gonna wait on somebody to pay me more. That's not it. That's not biblical. That's not working by the sweat of your brow. That's just trying to get by. That that's not it. And that's just wanting somebody to hand you something. It's that entitlement. I'm telling you, man. It's participation trophies in little league. Yeah, that's it. 
I'm telling you, my little boy plays. If he ever plays, he does karate, and I'm thankful for that because there's no second place belt. Yeah. If you don't pass, if you don't do you it, you don't pass. You don't get it. I told him one day, and I said this from the pulpit. I said, if he ever gets handed a participation trophy, we're throwing it out of the window on the way home. No, we, there's no reward for not doing good. You know, <laughs> that's not it. Uh, when I was living down in Grand Bay, I helped out like uh, coach soccer and um, basketball, which I don't know much about either. Yeah. But moved back home, and I started uh, helping my brother coach, my nephew. Yeah. Love that man. Love being with Millport Little League. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. And uh, Earl Shaw Tire Center. That's it. That's it. <laughs> the glory days. Yeah. But, you know, scoreboard, scoreboard's not lit up. We're not supposed to technically be keeping score. Oh, yeah. We but, keep in score. But we keep score. We keep in score. We keep in score. We know who's winning. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> It's 97 you know, I'm, to 98. I'm, I'm first base coach. Yeah. And I'm also, like, when my team's on defense, I'm also going to be, like, out in the outfield. And, oh, like, yeah. Helping them out. Yeah. Well, you're talking about, like, five, six-year-old? Well, seven, eight. Seven, eight-year-old, yeah. yeah. It's about to be 9 and 10 that's coming. Yeah. Here. Can't wait for that. Moving up the ladder. They yeah. start pitching in 9 and 10. That's it. I at the walks. Golly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's going to be fun, too. It's a good but game. You know, only walked in but 22 But you know, runs. like, what, 90% of questions on the field by my little teammates or my little my little kids I'm coaching are? Who's winning? What's the score? What's the score? If you're telling me that a 7 and 8-year-old kid cares what the score is. Yeah. That's all I need to know. Turn that Turn scoreboard, the scoreboard on. on. Let's see who won this yeah. thing. Yeah. That's it, man. It's just that entitlement. They're going to talk about it at school the next day. And since that scoreboard won't own, it, score is arbitrary because this guy on this team said, we beat you 9-8. to eight. Well, actually, it was 6-7 us. Yeah. And, no, and nobody knows. And he, man, I heard this illustration the other day, and I would give it credit if I knew where it come from. But, but I, I don't know who said it. I just heard the illustration. And he was like, he used an NFL team or something, so I used something different. So, like, we both graduated sophomore high school. Mm-hmm. 1A ball. It was 2A up until my junior year, and then dropped to 1A. We're talking about 1A ball, small town Alabama. But, I mean, they've had some decent ball teams. But let's just say that, in my opinion, Alabama's football team this past year, one of the best teams ever been in college football. I think the best ever. Loaded. Every position, it didn't matter who got hurt. The next fella come in seemed to be faster he, than that guy. Just as bad. I mean, it was that next man up, man, or whatever mentality you want to call it. And they had it. These were some bad dudes playing. Mm-hmm. So, South Lamar's going to ease over to t- – we'll even make it a home game. We'll put it at – I don't remember the name of the stadium up there. But we'll, we'll put it in Millport. Alabama's going to come play South Lamar in Millport. Now, as long as everybody plays by the rules, we're going to play 12-minute quarters. We're going to play four quarters. We're going to have the refs. Everybody plays by the same rules. The game is fair, right? Mm-hmm. By definition, it's fair. Not most people in the world today, according to all the things we're talking about, these justices, uh, bad interpretation of that word, and all of these things, these handouts and all that, they wouldn't say that game was fair. Because they would say, well, Alabama is at least 75 points better than South Lamar is. Probably more. But at least 75 points. So the only way it's going to be fair is if Alabama spots South Lamar 75 points. No, that's no longer fair. That's giving somebody something. That they don't deserve. We know they're going to get beat. But you still play the game because anything can happen. Anything's there. And the motive behind those five and six-year-old and seven, eight-year-old kids is, is I'm fixing to beat you. We're going to beat you and we're going to have bragging rights. And that's all it is. It's a competitive spirit. And that that has been that competitive drive spirit that like, 
our grandparents and the generations before had that built this country to be what it is, that comp- competitive spirit. When people saw towers get hit at 9-11, boom, people were signing up for the military and all these things. And like, I got to do something. That competitive spirit has almost been dropped out because we're just handed everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and like you said, that moving of the goalposts, people do it when it comes to these handouts. I mean, we just had that big stimulus check you know, or, or whatever, however much it was. And I, they got the lottery in Mississippi, which disagree with, but they got the lottery in Mississippi and you got people coming in there that got their $600 and bought that day, went in their bank account, went and bought $600 worth of lottery tickets. That $600 wasn't enough. I got to try to get something else with it. Blow their $600 Mm -hmm. to get a free tank of gas and 15 extra lottery tickets, which didn't get them nothing. You know, I mean, that's what, that's what they did with it. It, it wasn't mm-hmm. enough. It was that constant, give me, give me, give me. We got away from that simple life. We got away from those things. And it's all about want. And it's not about having enough. And it's not about that reward of earning something and getting it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is one thing that I've been thinking about is like, if we are to combat this, is like, where do you start? Yeah. Is you have to create culture. Yeah. And even if it is small town Alabama, even if it is small town podcast or whatever it looks like is to be honest about these issues and not only just complain about them, but offer solutions. Yeah. Like how do, how do we, what's our first step from here? Yeah. You know, my biggest, because I want unity for a country, yeah, without, but I, I want, I want people like, and I'm okay if you don't agree and I, I'm dude, I'm, I'm praying for Joe Biden. I'm for Joe Biden. Right. I'm behind Joe Biden. Right. Uh, just like the same capacity I was with Trump. Right. Like, don't get me started on Republican or Democrat because if you do that, you're gonna bat me in a corner and you're gonna say you're gonna get my real feelings to where I don't like any of them. Right. Yeah. I'm right there with you. <laughs> you know, I've thought about that a bunch, and you know, people say, well, it's gonna come from from helping your community, and that's gonna be part of it, and it's gonna come from loving people. And yeah, that's got to be part of it. That's what we're called to do in God's word. But he said in Second John, he says that uh, John says what love is. He said love is when you keep the commandments. Mm-hmm. That was the definition of love. It wasn't a handout. It was keeping the commandments of God. Where all of it's going to have to change if we're going to create culture, if we're going to change culture, it's going to we're going to learn how to talk again. We're going to learn how to talk. You got people on one side. And you got people on the other side that can't talk. They can argue, but they can't talk. But you know, when they argue, they're not even arguing the same thing. No, like, no. just take... You could, you could give them a topic they both agree on, but if you told mm-hmm. them one side was Democratic, one side was Republican, or one side was this, oh. or one side was that, mm-hmm. they're going to argue it, and they might actually agree mm-hmm. if they talked about it. I've heard... I don't, don't want to get back right back to you, but yeah. like, I, just, just real quick, and I don't want to spend any time here, but you just take abortion. Yeah. You have the right stance, left stance. When you listen to both sides, they are not talking about the same thing. No, not even close. They don't understand each other. Not even close. They're not just talking about the murder of a child. Mm-mm. Talking about two totally different things, and it gets twisted, and it gets turned. And they don't understand one another. And the reason they don't is because they won't talk about it. You know, people say all the time, if, you know, I guess it's the cliche, what, what can make a relationship work? What makes this work? Communication, communication, communication. The Bible says that very plainly. The Bible says if you've got a problem with somebody, you sit down and you talk about it. And if you can't agree, go get a brother. If you can't agree and you can't find, you go find somebody 
that both of you trust, and that might be hard to do in today's world, but you find somebody that you know is going to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. It's not going to just be a yes person and pat you on the back when they talk to you and just being a yes person when they pat you on the back and talk to you or when they talk to me or when they talk to you. It's just going to say yes in the situation and they don't, they're not going to take a side or whatever. You get somebody that you trust that you know is going to be honest mm-hmm. and you bring them in and you talk there, but therein lies the problem is we don't have any trust in anybody. We don't have any trust because we don't believe anything's trustworthy because it all stems back to we don't believe there's a moral truth. With this, everything is to his own. He, he thinks differently, so my truth is different from his truth. But the biblical thing is you talk about it. If you can't tell them the terms, you go and you get somebody that both of you trust, and you talk about it, and you come to terms on it, and you get there. But it all, And, of course, there's a third step there that you come before the church. I've never seen it have to go that far. I have seen it where you had to get somebody else in there to talk about it. But the majority of the time when I've seen issues and had issues, if you just sat down and just talked about it, you realize you wasn't as far apart as you was. That's right. And man, Jordan Peterson says this, back to what he says. He's an extremely intelligent individual and knows so much. But he said this in his podcast. Um, he said, um, I, I don't want to misquote him, so this isn't an exact quote. But he said one of the greatest ways to learn about something is to talk about it. The greatest way to learn about somebody is to talk to them. Mm-hmm. The greatest way to solve a problem is to talk about it, mm-hmm. not yell about it, not argue about it, but sit down and have a civilized conversation. But the only way we're going to do that is understand that we're all wrong. That's right. We're all wrong. You say, well, I ain't wrong on this topic. You might not be, but I guarantee you there's one you're wrong on. Mm-hmm. You say, well, I'm a good person. The Bible said Jesus Christ himself said there's none they good ain't except God. There's none good because good means perfect. And that ain't me. And, and that's that God's you. standard. That ain't and, me. Standard. And that ain't yeah. nobody listening to us. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. So we sit down and talk. But when we get in this argument, we get in this thing, I can't be wrong. Well, you might not be wrong about this one topic. But we can still be wrong. And we've got to find that way to talk. If we're going to create culture, if we're going to make a change, it's going to get to where we've got to be able to sit down and talk. But sadly, it may take everything we've got falling apart before we can get back to that life where people can just sit down and talk. That's a... you know, that's that's kind of like my hope is like just, you know, everything to crumble and erode quickly. Yeah. And then everyone to be kind of, well, it didn't work. And I was like, okay, now we're at a great point. We're at a great we're at point. A, we're at a great place. This wasn't working and this didn't work. It's time to talk. Yeah. It's time to find where we're at. You know, some people would say that that's going to have to start in Congress or in political debates that the talking across the aisle, if you would. I think it's going to start in neighborhoods and in church houses and in school houses and in workplaces where we stop looking at people as different from us, but looking at them as individuals, which makes them different from us. But we're still just creations of God and we've all got faults. No, it's one thing a friend of mine said to me, and I'm I'm not going to share her name, but um, she said, you know how like some small businesses and restaurants, they'll give you a discount off if you bring your church flyer in to prove that you went to church that Sunday. Right. What if you started getting involved in your town hall meetings? Yeah. And then we made town hall flyers and then the small businesses. Oh, man, you were involved in politics. Right. You were involved in your community. Here, here's 10% off. Right. And because if you start like... It's encouraging. You know... It's encouraging people to get involved. Mm-hmm. Encourage people to because do things. Because for us to gripe and complain about Congress, Senate, President, that's federal level, that's nation level... Yeah. If you want to change your community and change the way your neighborhood is, right. it starts on a local political yeah. level. Yeah, that's a step. It's getting there. And so if we can bring it up from a local level, 
then maybe to county, then maybe the state. And then, like, if people are really liking what we do, like, you know, Alabama's not the best in education. No. And we're also very obese. Yeah. Like, you know, and, I mean, there are so many, we actually wear shoes for you up there in the north. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Except when it's warm outside, ain't no need for them, man. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we've got things that we have to work on, but, like, we we're, we never work on them. Right. But we can win a national championship. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, it's easy to the, the football analogy. It's easy to have play that armchair quarterback. Well, I'll tell you what I would do if I was up there in Washington. Yeah. No, you don't. Because you, you ain't there. You have no idea. You have no idea. It's like, it goes back to what I said a while ago. I'd like to say if I knew 100% it was God telling me to pick up a snake, I'd pick it up. But I don't know if I would or not because I'm not in that situation and I'm not there. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that, I guess, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes analogy or whatever. You don't know what you do until you're put in that situation. My granddaddy uses this illustration. Um, he teaches uh, he's a great Sunday school teacher, but he uses this about a lot of different illustrations. I've heard him say a bunch of times. He said, you don't know what you do till it shows up in your driveway and knocks on your door. People want to tell you how they'd raise their kids and they don't have kids. People want to say how they'd handle their marriage and they're not married. Mm-hmm. People want to say how they would be as a politician, but they're not a politician. People want to see how, say how they would be as a pastor and they're not a pastor. Mm-hmm. But they're a uh, councilman councilwoman in their town and that's what they're doing and that's where our focus needs to be not focus on what i'd do if i was them focus on what i can do because i'm me and because i'm in my situation and because god's put me here not what would i do if i was them what can i do because i'm me i need to write that down (laughs) you have it here yeah i got got it recorded but uh yeah man i I believe that so if i mean I think we're we're offering solutions, and I think you're right. It starts neighborhood level. That's got to talk, man. Just we just got to get where we can talk. Not argue. Not get mad at each other. Oh, there's nothing wrong with being mad. You can be angry and sin not. But we take it too far when we get that hatred and yeah. that division for no reason. I really think there's so many people actually on the same page politically. I really think there's so many people actually on the same page morally and don't know it. Because we've let things, we've let the devil drive a wedge in between us. Oh yeah, it's R D, baby. Yeah, devil's only ever really had one ploy, and that was to deceive, and he's just really good at it. Mm. Really good at it. Anything else to do? No, man. Just glad to be on here. Cool, man. Well, let's go and wrap it up, Jordan. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. News and notes. Thank you so much for listening to Porch Talk. If you haven't done so already, I would ask that you would rate and review the show on whatever podcast app it is that you listen to on. Tell a friend. Share it on your social media. Um, write us. Um, if you want to get in contact with me or Brother Jordan about uh, anything that we talked about today, maybe it didn't sit right, maybe... Uh, it's just hanging with you. It's hanging on your mind. Uh, Porch-talk.net. There's a contact page. You can email me directly. And uh, I'll get you to Jordan if you want Jordan. Going to walk this thing on out the door. With a song called Brush Arbor by Will Stewart. And if you ever get the chance to see Will Stewart live. You'd be a fool not to. He's uh, from Birmingham, Alabama. And he's no doubt one of the greatest songwriters in Alabama right now. All right, here's Brush Arbor. Peace out.
Brother Carl's gonna be here soon See my soul when the spirit moves in the order Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.